Hi, everybody. David Knorr, back with my business partner, Jen Kors, to welcome you to another episode of our Intelligent Growth live stream. We'll come to you live every Tuesday at noon Eastern to share a hopefully unique aspect, perspective on what we believe to be a really important initiative, really important strategic investment in the organization, and that is how do we really make that growth that we're all after more intelligent, more profitable, more intentional, certainly more strategic. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Great to be here. Likewise, good to have you. We just wrapped our audience. If you missed it, we just wrapped up a great mini-series on the strategic value of RevOps. Specifically, we talked about dashboards. We talked about metrics. We talked about spend and ROI. And apparently, it was really popular because we got some great results in viewership and in the subsequent listening to the podcast wherever you consume podcasts. Uh, We've also started to add a bonus program where after these live sessions, Jen and I go into our private community called the North Forum, and we encourage you to join us there right after each of these episodes at norgroup.com slash forum, and we'll put the URL in the comments for you. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, and encourage you to jump in and join us with questions, comments, Anything you want to add, and we'll take those live. We also repurpose each of these live streams, as I mentioned, to our podcast, Intelligent Growth. And you can uh, listen to those wherever you consume podcasts. We want to leverage this episode as a bridge to the next mini-series, and we'll talk about that shortly. But we thought we'd talk today about this idea of really kind of, you know, everybody talks about RevOps. Many people talk about RevOps. A lot of research shows that RevOps can be incredibly valuable to leaders and organizations who become very intentional about a systematic discipline approach to establishing, nurturing, investing in, and really sustaining a well-thought-out RevOps initiative. So from an operational standpoint, we all hear a lot about it. We know it's important. Our challenge and many challenge of our clients is in financial kind of uncertain times with continued inflationary pressures, really important to tighten the aperture on how initiatives like RevOps deliver financial results, financial outcomes, financial value at the enterprise level, not just at a functional level. And if you just a quick reminder, we're talking about the intersection, the integration of marketing sales, customer success, finance, operations, and a holistic view of that customer lifecycle journey. And how do we align the needs of buyers to the wants of sellers? And if you do that efficiently, if you do that effectively, you can absolutely create enterprise value. Today, we want to share eight very specific financial outcomes from RevOps at the enterprise level. Jen, let me start with you. Talk a little about your experience and what you've seen companies benefit from as they start and they build a RevOps function. And as I said, mostly it's traditionally in the operational efficiency and reducing functional redundancy. I love that we're talking about financial value add in this episode. Yeah, great question. So 
RevOps at its core is actually reimagining and rethinking the way organizations are structured and not necessarily have their operations functions be siloed. So creating an actual holistic external department that handles operations and then supports the go-to-market function. And in doing that, you create transparency between the tech stack, you create transparency between ownership goals, you're actually tying behaviors of uh, the digital touches to the end result of customer engagement, onboarding, the increase of seats. And so having it be sort of a third party outside of sales, marketing and customer success, that allows finance and any CFO type function to have visibility in a more granular level to what the tech stack actually is delivering as far as ROI. And it also reduces the friction and unnecessary steps that many of the teams are having to do today um, by not having RevOps be a, a cohesive unit. Love that. So we've got eight, and for our audience, again, uh, we'll be in the NOR forum, norgroup.com slash forum, right after this event. We'll post this list. Uh, Jen runs a RevOps uh, group uh, in there, and we'll post this list uh, in there for you. But Jen, we've got eight, and and I'm old school. I printed the list. I love, I love reviewing lists because I can make notes all over it. But we've got eight very specific ways RevOps creates enterprise financial value. I want to take them one at a time, and I want you and I to talk about them, starting with number one, monetizing commercial assets. What is that? Why does it matter? Why would I care as a revenue executive or CFO of the organization? Why you should care, why any executive should care is, is because the database that your company has from all the interactions, from the trade shows, from anybody filling out a form on your website, that is the most valuable commodity that, that your organization has outside of your product. And so by creating a 360 degree view of that customer that everyone has access to, everyone is then on the same page and you can start anticipating what the customer or the prospect may actually be looking for next and be able to have more intelligent conversations with them. I was interviewed for a podcast earlier today and, and the, the host asked why, you know, certain relationships fade or why certain relationships are not as productive as others. And I came up, you know, with three that I, that I could think of one, you know, relevancy, you're, you're relevant in my journey. You're a guest in my journey. And, and despite popular belief, your product or services uh, is not the beginning and end of my day, right? I don't live in your world. You're but a sliver of all that I've got going on. So are you relevant? Two, is the relationship timely? You could be relevant, but I've got 75 other things on my plate and you're just not, not relevant or, or a priority at that moment. So timing is off. And then value creation. I, I don't know about you. I'm getting a ton of emails and LinkedIn requests and on and on and on. Are you creating value? Are you creating quantifiable value with every interaction? So relevant, timely value creation on a consistent basis. And what I've always heard from you is that 360 degree view of the customer and particularly a comment about an organization's ability to anticipate what they're going to want, what they're going to need, how they will learn and grow and be better off because of us becomes invaluable. Is that fair? 
That is, that's very fair. And that anticipation and that value add at every interaction is really important because more and more customers, because so much information is available digitally, they'll do a ton of research before they ever raise their hand to have a conversation with you. So you want to make sure that you're serving up content that is relevant to them and to your point, very timely to them in what questions they're trying to answer. So that anticipation factor really becomes key and a differentiator for many organizations. So number one, monetize commercial assets, in essence, putting this customer data, digital technology, infrastructure assets to work to create value. Number two, you talk about differentiating the customer experience. We all, I think we all notice it and we're over the moon when we get a great experience. It's just incredibly sad that that seems to be an anomaly and it seems to be the exception and not the norm. Talk about differentiated customer experience as a financial asset. So when you have a really great experience, you rave about it. Uh, you unknowingly become a raving fan for that organization or for whatever service it was that you just signed up for. When you have a really bad experience, the same thing happens. But also when you have a really bad experience, you may just not say anything about it again and you, you speak with your wallet and you just won't rebuy whatever service or product that was. We want to focus on, on the positive interactions and create those meaningful moments for customers or prospects that really make them say, wow. And one of the unfortunate things that we've, that we've noticed through our client work is that the customer experience and that customer journey is left almost as an afterthought and it's not approached in an intentional fashion. And, and again, it's very cool and sexy to talk about growth and, you know, revenue and top line and all that, it seems to be, especially when you and your team go and do your either RevOps x-ray or the assessment, as you mentioned, churn. Churn seems to be, a, a, you know, a, a certainly on people's radars, but customer success is almost like a redheaded stepchild. And, and we're constantly trying to replace, you know, churn, customers who are leaving. And, and it, it impacts your customer acquisition cost. It impacts that retention cost. Net new growth is always expensive. Then how do we expand and extend the relationship with existing relationships? So it seems like that customer experience, it, again, we talk about it, yet it's not really consistently invested in throughout that life cycle journey. That would be very accurate. And that consistent execution of the customer experience across all touch points, sales, marketing, customer success, because as you've said in past episodes, the relationship really starts when they buy. If we're not demonstrating value and being seen as a partner versus just a vendor, that person's going to price shop in the future. They're going to go kick the tires of other things. But by demonstrating value and that you're there in it with them, they will the, the perception of your company in, in their journey is going to be very different. And they're going to have a little bit more loyalty or, or value towards you. It goes without naming names, but even our our small firms, we are not renewing two very large, very recognizable tech stack players because ton of pressure on the front end for you to buy and sign the stupid paperwork and the renewal expires at midnight tonight. And crappy is a very technical term, 
doesn't even begin to address their behaviors or how they add any kind of value after the sale. So let's hire a whole bunch of 22-year-olds who are hungry and driven and will pester the crap out of you for you to sign, right, with this barrage of disconnected emails and, and really shady business experiences, right, and, and, and customer experience. But after I sign, you could care less of any impact your platform creates in my business. Yeah. And it's just not a gripe. It's if I have that crappy of an experience, you're not giving me any reason to new. Renew, and more importantly, as you said, be a flag-carrying advocate of your brand, of your value proposition, particularly as many as CMOs that we engage with and our research and our thought leadership. This might be a kiss of death for these two big brands. I would agree. And and not paying attention to the customer when they're a customer of yours is, is really just detrimental to your long-term growth. And, and so be intentional. Don't just have the conversations when it's renewal time. Check in with them. Make sure that they're actually seeing the value that you promised in your sales pitches and help them find that value and, and create a level of stickiness for your product or service that makes them want to continue to work with you. So we've covered monetize your commercial assets. We've talked about differentiating the customer experience. Number three is manage the economics of selling. That's something that we found, we've seen really astute leaders focus on. Your SGNA, your cost of sales, your cost of acquisition. But talk a little more about managing the economics of selling. Yeah, so managing the economics of selling really just comes down to making sure that you're each person in, in their respective function is doing what they need to be doing without a lot of overhead or a lot of manual steps and reducing some of that friction and duplication. So for example, um, your sellers, your enterprise level field salespeople, they should not necessarily be doing research on titles or prospecting or any of that stuff, or what was the last marketing asset this person engaged with. By having, back to our first point, the 360-degree view of the customer, that information should be readily accessible to that person. So when they pick up the phone to have a conversation, they can intelligently speak about the last thing that this person may have engaged with or suggest something additional that could help them find the answer that they're looking for. Um, and so it's just it's managing all of that data as well as reducing all of the steps that they have to, to take. They shouldn't have to go put their forecast in three different systems. It really should be one system and then that feeds the rest of them. I was having a conversation with the CEO the other day and we're talking about net promoter score, right? So capturing the, you know, and, and for the audience that may not be familiar, very simple, straightforward question based on your experience, would you recommend us? And a scale of zero to 10, you know, zero to, I think seven is, or six is negative, seven and eight is neutral, nine and 10 is positive. And you subtract the positive from the negative and you get a score. And we're talking about this idea of an employee net promoter score. And I've got a love-hate relationship with NPS because it tells you often what, not really why. So we believe in and we work with our clients on deploying sentiment analysis because regardless of how they answer, it's really the answers to the subsequent questions in natural text when analyzed that gives you incredible insights. And if I get one data point, that's just that a point. Two, I get a line. Three, 
now I have a trend and I can see whether that customer or even that employee is trending up or is trending down. As such, we can actually tell you which customers and which employees are at risk well in advance of them leaving. And one of the biggest reasons the employees leave is exactly, Jen, the friction that you talked about. I'm an enterprise sales rep. My biggest value add, my biggest financial impact on the organization is customer-facing, relationship-developing, really engaging increasingly a committee to move that enterprise opportunity forward. That's a very expensive asset to have you do data entry or manual stuff that can easily be automated. We're not advocates of making anybody more lazy in their job. That's not it. It's really thinking about that customer engagement almost as a theater act before, during, and after. Who's best positioned to really engage before and populate that information? How are we show up at our best during? Many of our cybersecurity clients are at RSA and it's a big you know, trade show. Your success at RSA has a lot to do with the level of due diligence and level of relationship preparedness in advance. So, and then afterwards, how do we follow up? How do we follow through? How do we ensure the excitement at that trade show, that conference carries through all the way? So really managing the economics of selling in terms of what assets are you deploying? The cost of those assets, is that the best use of that asset? And how do we remove friction? Let's move on to the next one, enabling scalable growth technologies. Yes, you and I have talked about this uh, with many of our clients. We've also talked about it on previous episodes. And by having your ops functions siloed or in, in various departments, you may inadvertently have duplication of technology and uh, even duplication of data. And by moving all of that outside of those relative functions and putting it into one, you can reduce some of those dupl duplicate tools. You can also have the, the insights to know if we add this technology we're evaluating, what else is it gonna impact in the stack? But it also then allows you to manage those seats and the, that, that usability of all of that tech because it's one thing to invest in it and it's then a, quite a different thing to actually leverage all the capabilities of that technology. And we've talked to clients where they're using a fraction of what a tool is capable of doing and they're not seeing the returns that they really should. Whoa, 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 whoa. You might as well be the antichrist if you tell me I need to let go of a technology that runs my marketing or my sales or my customer success. Are you really showing up with the audacity to recommend that there be one source of the truth and and all of these things should in fact integrate with one another? I, I am saying that exact thing. Uh, the technology really does need to be all integrated and it does need to communicate to each other in an intelligent way. So when you have that 360 degree view of the customer, it really is taking into account everything sales has done, everything customer success has done, everything that the website has collected, everything from marketing, but then also did they come stop by the booth at a trade show or did they come to some networking event that was in person? So all of that information is going to live in individual systems, but by connecting them in an intelligent way will allow everyone to have all of that data at their fingertips. And 
it won't appear that the company doesn't know what's happening. Left hand doesn't know what right hand's doing. When somebody calls into support, support will actually know what this person may, may have just engaged with or vice versa. When sales reaches out or customer success reaches out, they will know how many customer support tickets are still open and pending instead of just calling and having a very angry person on the other end. Another another tech platform that will go unnamed, uh, customer service, customer support emails me today with dear Michael. I'm like, who's Michael? I, so it, it just, the disconnect in some of these very recognizable organizations is baffling. What I appreciate in this category, you also talk about great opportunities for that one-to-one -one personalization. You talk about real-time coaching of the team. And what I know many of our executives are passionate about, forget six-month you know, annual performance reviews. I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. So one-to-one -one coaching, real-time coaching, at that moment, when I listen to that gong audio or look at that transcript, becomes invaluable because I can see how our team is engaging that incredibly valuable customer. Response management. And of course, something that, Again, our, our CMO friend, Steve Hardy at Profix is, is really passionate about that idea of account-based experiences and ABX seems to be taking off in a big way. It does. And that and account-based marketing, that organization's trying or marketing or account-based everything, as Steve calls it, um, is really important because that organization is trying to answer a question and trying to move themselves forward as a unit and having disconnected messages doesn't help them make a decision on a purchase of enterprise level software, which frankly can be very expensive. And to your point, back to the real-time coaching, you can, leaders can listen to those conversations and help coach them to have better successes more quickly than waiting. And it allows them also to correct or curb behaviors or conversations, or maybe they're using an outdated asset. So update that in real time so that it's not a recurring issue along the way. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Jen Cords, a partner who leads our RevOps practice. We're talking about eight very definitive ways RevOps can add financial value at an enterprise level beyond functional operational efficiency and effectiveness when you take a more disciplined approach in developing, nurturing, recalibrating, optimizing, amplifying your RevOps initiative, it really does create enterprise value, not just from operational efficiency, but actually financial impact as well. So number one was monetize commercial assets. Two, differentiate the customer experience. Three, manage the economics of selling. Four, enable scalable growth technologies. Five is going to be one of my favorites. Supporting recurring revenues. Some time ago, you and I committed to, we want to actually work with fewer clients, but we want to build a deeper value add. We want to build, really focus on that lifetime value of that customer relationship. You talk about that CLV, that customer lifetime value. Talk a little about this recurring revenue approach. So most organizations today are moving towards a recurring revenue type model uh, because one, it's very, very profitable. And two, in time, it uh, reduces the initial cost. Up front, it may be very expensive to get going. But then with time, as you get more customers and as they sort of self-manage themselves, uh, that cost 
gets gets spread out. Um, but that recurring revenue model also allows you to have um, ongoing revenue without having the hockey stick. So every quarter, most organizations, they're, they're selling, selling, selling. And then as in the final month of the quarter, they're going to really focus on closing all these really big deals. By, by transitioning more to a recurring revenue model, you can spread out some of that, that incoming contract value over time and not have these, these hockey sticks every single quarter. And, and, and again, I, I love line of sight. I love predictability of, of, you know, and we have large enterprise clients that are moving from that CapEx, you know, business model to more of an OpEx where it is a subscription. It is a, a, a recurring revenue. And in the subscription economy, the other thing you and I have talked about in previous episodes and we're big fans of is that 360 degree view of the customer you mentioned earlier is no longer a luxury. It is unequivocally a necessity. And if you don't have line of sight into their adoption of the solution you sold, and we, we often go back to our customer lifecycle journey and talk a lot about this. If you don't have a line of sight into the impact your solution is creating, material impact in their business, you should have no expectations that not only they become advocates, but we believe they can become evangelists and not just renew, but expand their relationship introduce you to other business units, other business parts of their organization, whether it's domestic or international or other, again, colleagues that they work with who could also benefit from your solution. If you don't have that view, if you don't have that lifetime, customer lifetime value mindset, which by the way is often set the tone, is set at the top and it cascades through the organization, you're going to really struggle it's very sexy and jazzy to talk about. Again, we have a subscription model. Here's a recurring revenue. Here's ARR conversations with, you know, financial executives, board members, whatever. But really implementing that and executing on a consistent basis becomes a very different, different mindset. Moving on to number six, improve visibility into selling performance. Yes, this comes back to dashboards and that 360 degree view that we've mentioned several times by creating transparency around the metrics that the organization is tracking and what everybody is being held accountable to it it creates almost interchangeable or, or cross-functional accountability and and if you gamify it in a little in a way uh, like sales, no, nobody ever wants to be at the bottom of a leaderboard. So on those dashboards, you can have a leaderboard of these are the, here's the goals that we're going after. Here's here's our, our our target, and here's the people who are are getting really close to it. And everybody pushes each other to work really hard to meet those those goals. And just having that cross functional visibility not only will push people to perform better, but it also will then identify those people who may be struggling. And then your top performers can reach out to the, to the ones that may be struggling or offer help in some way. And you can use it as a way to cross-functionally coach. So speaking from experience, we always call that the wall of shame, right? You, nobody wants to be at the bottom of that list, right? It's just, you kind of hide your face. You don't talk to anybody. I, I got to go sell something. Even on like after hours and weekends, I got somebody's got to be at their desk. I got to go sell something just to get off that wall of shame. 
but joking aside, that that believable, credible, single source of truth metrics that people can believe in really drives the behaviors. I've always said metrics and compensation drive behaviors, and particularly, and and I, and I want to, Jen, I want to uh, throw out an idea. It's very easy to measure the sales team by their performance. My question of you is, do you believe in uh, performance-based compensation also for marketing and customer success? Because present company excluded, you and I have met a lot of marketing professionals who good people, good intentions, work really hard, and yet they continuously confuse vibration with forward motion. Look at all the campaigns we're doing and it produces little to no results. So if there was a performance-based, and again, you're much more attuned to that space. If there was a performance-based compensation approach, do you believe that would work? Do you believe that's fair? And why aren't more organizations doing that for the marketing and customer success functions? I, I do believe that it's fair. And I, I feel that it would drive better behaviors and instead of creating a lot of stuff, if you will, they would then focus on being more strategic and being more tactical and maybe taking more time to be intentional with the journeys that they're creating instead of just campaign after campaign after campaign, evaluate what is working, what is not working. And, um, like create a feedback loop between sales and marketing to, to take some of the insights that sales may be gathering and implement that into marketing in a more real-time fashion. So then it's a common goal. They're all trying to get these customers and prospects to buy and the results that they're, they're creating are not just new names in the system. They're not just clicks on the website, tying that actually to top or bottom line revenue would really be impactful. And by changing their compensation structure, I think would drive the behavior that we're actually looking for. I, I love that Bill Brown, longtime friends joining us. This is a very interesting and relevant question. Bill, glad you're here. That's why I get paid the big money, my friend. That is why, is to ask hopefully better questions. No, joking aside, we also have seen a lot of marketing sales organizations. Jen, I don't want to quite say bicker, but really spend a lot of or waste a lot of cycles on attribution, right? Did marketing touch that? Did that come from a campaign? Was that a trade show? Top of the funnel, middle of the funnel. It, it, at some point, you, you just, you want to politely scream, who cares, right? If they don't become a customer, we don't have jobs here. If we don't retain them as customers. And, and again, I don't want to name names, but I struggle with technical CEOs who are brilliant technologists and yet don't understand what it takes for a customer service function to decrease churn, right, by 10, 20%. And yet it wasn't what the executive promised the board. So now the customer success executive is out. And you and I have seen that front, that we've had a front row seat to those scenarios. And it just screams you care more about credit versus how do we work as a team? How do we work as a seamless organization to attract, retain, develop, kind of help that customer buy, much more importantly, create 
real value in their organization. So what do they say? Even a blind squirrel can find the nut. Yes. Anybody can buy the first time. What are you doing to create subsequent buying opportunities that keeps and retains that customer and wants them, entices them, invites them to keep coming back? Absolutely. And, and going back to the, the visibility of customer success and, and those metrics, tying those behaviors into the actual performance and how those campaigns are creating value for the customer will facilitate better conversations between those. Customer success is hearing XYZ marketing or even product marketing. Maybe that's a feature or function that we should be adding into this. Or these customers absolutely hate this feature that we just added. Either create more education around it because they're not understanding the value that it's adding, or maybe it's not something that we should keep in the product at all. So it allows you to have that sounding board in a way that that you wouldn't otherwise. And having those shared metrics, not only at the, the functional level, but also the executive level changes the conversation in that room to be believable. And everybody's not going to show up with their own version of the truth. It's one set of numbers that everybody's looking at. And you can put the sales lens or the customer success lens or the marketing lens on it, but it's still the one core set of numbers that everybody's looking from that allow you to make more intelligent decisions. My, my favorite is teams that we've met with 18 months ago, who, when we bring this up, oh yeah, we already do that. And 18 months later, there's still no confidence amongst the functional leaders that we've got one version of the truth and one dashboard that effectively, impactfully, credibly represents what we're doing on that customer lifecycle journey. Bill's jumping back in. There's so much noise in the market that just adds to the noise. Unequivocally, yes. Bill, and again, Jen and her team do this RevOps x-ray and a RevOps assessment where between a week on a complimentary basis or you know 30 to 45 days, with a much deeper dive, they see all kinds of functional siloed efforts. That's what I call them, right? Where marketing is doing a great campaign and the leads are going to never, never land. Or marketing is doing a great campaign, sending the leads to sales, but there's no feedback loop mechanism of were those even in our ICP? Were those even the right people that we should be talking about? So we're spending a lot of cycles. And again, we're talking about uncertain financial times where you've got limited resources and we can't, this is not the time to waste time, effort, or resources. This is not the time to spend on all kinds of initiatives and have little to no results to show for it in a believable dashboard with quantifiable, qualitative and quantitative data that many organizations build, we still don't see putting front and center as the dashboard and the finger on the pulse of how our marketing, sales, and customer service functions. And on that note, before we move on, sorry, Please. Nor, um, that those dashboards, we've talked about it in our, our previous episode that focused specifically on dashboards, but that dashboard can't just be looking at lagging indicators. It also has to be looking at the leading indicators so you can steer the ship if you're going off course in a proactive manner, instead of just looking backwards saying, oh, well, 30 days ago, we should have done X, Y, Z. That doesn't help you today. So having both the leading and the lagging on that dashboard that everybody's looking at and working from will help create more data-driven, intelligent decisions to drive the business. 
and again, for our audience, if you didn't get a chance to catch, we just wrapped up a mini series on the strategic value of RevOps and we covered metrics, dashboard and spend. So the dashboard one in particular, we emphasized both lagging indicators and leading drivers that should really help you uh, with multiple data points of not just where we've been. That's great. I'm looking in the rear view mirror. But most people don't drive by looking in the rearview mirror. They look at the, you know, the, the windshield. So the leading drivers become incredibly valuable as a data point. How do we anticipate with sentiment? How do we anticipate their next steps based on their journey and really kind of help them buy in their next logical step? So moving on with the eight, number seven is motivate the team selling. And again, I want to also talk about marketing and customer success, but talk about that second. Well, and, and when I say in, in this document and when I was reading this, motivating team selling, it's not just sales that does selling. Marketing needs to generate that interest and drive additional value to get the person uh, engaged enough to want to have a conversation with sales that's a little bit more in depth, maybe have a demo or something along those lines. And then customer success needs to then deliver what's what was then just promised. And so team selling actually is all three of those departments working in concert. And we've talked about it before, the handoffs between each. When seamless, it's like a relay race. The baton is passed uh, cleanly between each of those departments. So team selling really is creating a common goal for all the go-to-market functions and finding ways to help them each support the others in getting that client or prospect to buy. For our audience, if you get a chance, look up YouTube videos on relay, track relay races gone badly. And that's a great example of leave too early and you're going to overlap too long. Leave too late and you're going to miss that baton pass. Drop the baton and the race is over. So if you take that mindset and integrate it into the marketing, sales, customer success function, and create that seamless, not just functional expertise at each stage of that customer lifecycle journey, but the passing of the baton, the handoffs. How do we know we've handed off from one function to the next? Who's responsible for that? We always believe in a single you know, neck to choke. So who is that person? Don't, don't give me some vague function or department or... Who's the individual that's going to ensure that handoff is consistent? And that's how you earn the trust of that customer through that journey that they have their act together. They're speaking, you know, they're collaborating internally and they have one face to the organization to ensure that happens smoothly. Last but certainly not least, turn technology assets into force multipliers. I love that. A good friend, Liz Wiseman, has written a book called Multipliers. And she talks about value diminishers and value multipliers. Talk about that a second. Yeah. So leveraging technology as a force multiplier really means that you've integrated it across all departments to, to allow for that frictionless work and those seamless handoffs and to create the 360 degree view as well as the dashboards, but also the improvements that you make to those operational efficiencies need to be done on a continuous basis. No tech stack 
no operations team can do something that's a set it and forget it. There has to be fine-tuned tweaks along the way. And David and I have mentioned it a couple of times, but creating feedback loops between each of these departments is really important to ensure that what those other departments are hearing is then incorporated into either future marketing or future sales. And so creating that, that team type mentality, that team infrastructure, if we all don't get there, none of us get there is really what, what we're looking to do. And those technology assets should enable better selling, better customer experiences, better marketing, instead of being a hindrance to that. And, and a couple of other data points on this. Um, anytime we go into a place, into a client company, and we see technology that's ahead of the process, it becomes a mess. If you've got either poor or non-existing processes that are repeatable, that are predictable, trying to automate that, you're automating something that's really broken and you're looking for the technology to fix it. So we actually look at processes, capabilities, and tech stack. And make no mistake about it, regardless of the company's size, the RevOps function, its stage, its maturity, the leadership that leads it, the collaboration amongst various functions, tells you a lot about where they are on their maturity model. And we've identified several very specific kind of phases from digital desert where, you know, somebody brings in a CRM just so we have, you know, a centralized repository. Then you start to get these functional silos. Well, we need marketing automation that should tie to that CRM. So let's go get that next popular platform. And then once we sell them, how do we track them? Oh, we're going to need something on the customer success side. Oh, well, the light bulb goes off. Maybe we should connect these. And maybe we should create some reports and dashboards beyond just the functional roles. And what's really critical, again, is a cohesive, a well-thought-out process. We deeply believe in this customer lifecycle journey. We deeply believe in this idea that if you identify how to engage them, how to influence them, how to help them buy early in the process, attract them, engage them, conversion to them actually becoming a customer becomes a natural next stage. But as Jen mentioned, the relationship, having written a few books on this topic, the relationship doesn't end when somebody buys. To the contrary, that's when it really begins. Once they buy, your ability, your proactiveness, your initiative, your, how you show up as a team, as an organization, to engage them, to ensure that handoff is seamless, becomes invaluable because now you're, you're really influencing adoption. And last time I checked, nobody buys new technology or any kind of a solution because they're bored. Or we've, no client has ever told me, we have so much money, it's obscene, right? Most everybody's buying a solution, service, product to solve a fundamental challenge or, or really take advantage of an opportunity. So their adoption of your solution ultimately leads to the impact your solution creates in their business. Um, Eric McCarthy, longtime friend, board member, venture capital, private equity partner, talks about looking two levels deep at your customers' customers and how they're engaging those customers. What can you do to add value in that process? As I said earlier, only when you create material impact in your customers' business, you've earned, you've got your ticket, return ticket punched, 
you have earned that business for them to renew, hopefully become customer happy, customer advocates, customer evangelists. So service advocacy evangelism is also a stair step. When you do that, they do a lot more than write you a check. They actually become, you activate this army that speaks on your behalf, that really carries your flag, that amplifies your brand, not just the brand promise in the marketing and sales side, but really the brand equity on the delivery side. So Jen, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add one of the other pieces we're talking about enabling the customer and finding that value internally. Also, one of the ways to ensure that your tech stack is creating value is having ongoing training and enablement for your internal teams to leverage those, those technologies that you're adding. So it's, it's one thing to have an operations function, but just like in customer success, you have, trainers and developers and people who help onboard your customers internally, you need when a new technology is introduced, you need someone who's in charge of that technology to handle the training, answer any questions, be that person that anybody can go to when they need help to learn that because introducing a new technology to solve a business problem is only half the battle. Getting people to actually do it or put the information into that tool is going to help solve the rest of it, but you're not going to, it's not implement it today, flip the light switch on, everybody's using it tomorrow. We've done it in our own business that we've introduced something or I've, my team's introduced something internally and we've taken the rest of the team through, here's the five things that you need to do this week. And we, we assign it kind of like homework and you all go and do it. And then the next meeting that we have, you come back and we answer questions. Did you find success? Did you not? So it's, it's not only a customer-facing, customer success thing that you need to do with your clients, but also internally, your operations team, to leverage those technologies most efficiently. You really do need to have an enablement function to help create understanding and usage within your own tech stack um, to allow you to get the best returns and the best information from your teams. For our audience, if you join us late, Jen Cords and I, Jen leads our, she's a partner in our firm, leads our RevOps practice. We've been talking about eight very definitive ways revenue operations or RevOps can add enterprise financial value to the organization. Just a quick recap. And as a reminder, we're the two of us, top of the hour, will be in our uh, private online community called the NOR Forum. You can join us there at norgroup.com slash forum. And what we do exclusively for that community right after each of these events, we're live there and we take these ideas, we take these uh, insights and hopefully share practical, pragmatic uh, steps in how to implement them, how to think about your own environment, how to really raise the bar, whether you're just getting started with a CRM or marketing automation system, or you believe you're much further along this, this maturity model in integrating those and creating executive dashboards, board dashboards, and really optimizing your roadmap. Just as a, So again, hope you'll join us, norgroup.com slash forum. Just a quick recap of the eight. One, monetize commercial assets. Two, differentiate the customer experience. Three, manage the economics of selling. Four, enable scalable growth technologies, as we talked about, not just the tech stack, but processes, capabilities, and the tech stack. Five, support recurring revenues. It's a fundamentally a different business model and one that mandates a 360-degree view of that customer lifecycle journey. 
Six, improve visibility into selling performance. How are we, we have the right sellers at the right time to engage different audiences, account health, opportunity potential, pipeline performance, or just some of those. Seven, motivate team selling. As Jen mentioned, it's not just sales, but how do we bring, how do we develop really a performance-based culture between marketing, sales, and customer success as the entire revenue engine. Last but not least, turn technology assets into force multipliers. Anytime you can remove keystrokes, anytime you can uh, really elevate how I do the job and am I being best utilized in the environment, in kind of the role that I'm expected to deliver becomes invaluable. So Jen, I was going to also share with our audience, this is our RevOps portfolio. So as you can imagine, uh, Jen and her team have done a fabulous job in really creating what we believe to be one of the first end-to-end -end solutions in the RevOps space, which is everything from, as I said, a complimentary x-ray. X-ray is a service, takes us one week. Uh, Jen and her team, we have a couple of requirements there, but we come back to you with five impediments that are keeping you from the top. That often leads to a more in-depth assessment, typically 30 to 45 days with very specific deliverables, including a process map, systems architecture, and a capabilities elevation that we recommend. Think of them as short, medium, long-term, low, medium, high. What, what can you do within the next six months? What do we believe you should implement in the next 18 months? And then what's beyond that? From that assessment, and if you haven't seen our amplified time to impact ATI process, we can parachute in, somebody else asked us that, and deliver a point solution. We typically do those in a 90-day sprint where we focus on any aspect of that ATI process. Or increasingly, what we're being asked to do is fractional support. Either we need a Salesforce or a HubSpot administrator or someone incredibly valuable on our team has left. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to kind of backfill that function. So we're doing a lot of fractional support for various clients at the moment. Those are 30 days to ongoing, kind of as needed. A fabulous new partnership opportunity presents a chance for us to go in and do spend insights on their RevOps spend. We found out that many organizations have underutilized seats or, as Jen mentioned, duplication of functionality in different functional groups in their tech stack. So, again, if you haven't had a chance to watch the previous episode on strategic value of RevOps, spend, and ROI, we spend an entire episode on spend insights. The other thing that I'm really you know, proud of, Jenner team, also offer a managed service where several clients have outsourced the entire RevOps to us. Earlier on their maturity model, our goal is always to kind of be that enabler and then really knowledge transfer those capabilities, those functionalities to the internal team. So this is just an overview of our RevOps portfolio, and we've seen any aspects of those solutions along the way deliver real financial impact to the organization. Jen, any comments on the portfolio? Uh, no comments other than my team loves doing all the aspects of it. The, from the x-ray, we get to see a variety of, of technologies and tech stacks and how organizations have structured themselves all the way through the managed services, helping 
clients uh, really find the value of their operations and getting the most out of their tech stack and setting them up for success is something that my team takes great pride in doing. So from end to end, we really enjoy working with the variety of clients that, that this type of portfolio enables us to work with. And again, as a reminder, the x-ray is complimentary. So we want to make sure it's the right fit where there's some very specific requirements we start, but it doesn't cost you anything. And in a matter of a week, Jen and her team come back with, I've seen some great results from here's what's really holding you back. And you're welcome to take that and implement it yourself, work with others, or certainly work with our team in really elevating the role, the impact, the financial impact of revenue operations in your organization. I want to I want to wrap up with this comment. And again, I was a guest on a on a podcast earlier today that really reminded me if you if you kind of peel back the onion, and, and I think Jen agrees with this assessment as well, revenue operations fundamentally is about relationships. It's about deepening the relationship, it's about nurturing the relationship, it's about anticipating the needs of that relationship. So as a team, as an organization, we're doubling down two decades of being student of business relationships in now, how do we optimize the processes, the capabilities within your organization, and really the tech stack? Those three have to work together in a seamless manner to really deliver the outcomes you're after. Make no mistake about it. It's an investment of talent. It's an investment of technology and tools. It's an investment of those processes and playbooks. But when it's done well, it really does help you reinvent your relationships from where they may be highly transactional today to we believe they can become transformational as you move forward, as you really fuel the enterprise growth of your organization. So on behalf of my partner, Jen Kors, thank you for joining us for this episode. This was focused on Really, the, the, the eight definitive ways RevOps can create enterprise financial value. We want to tease you with the next mini-series. The last one we did was a lot of fun, and we got some good interactions and good content that we delivered to the audience. So next week, we're going to launch a new three-part series focused on the top challenges of CMOs, CROs, and chief customer officers. Again, we've interviewed a number of them. We continue to number of, interview a number of them, interact with them, validate, are you in fact struggling with some of these things? And we don't want to just pour salt in your wound. We want to also offer hopefully some insights, some advice, some coaching, some perspectives for those that we believe can be really helpful. So again, new mini series, three-part series launching next Tuesday at noon Eastern on the top challenges that we're seeing faced by CMOs, chief revenue officers, CROs, chief customer officers, CCOs, and good chance we may also have some guests along the way to kind of join us and share their perspective. So on behalf of Jen Course, thank you for joining us. My name is David Knorr. This has been another fun episode of our Intelligent Growth Livestream. We look forward to seeing you next time. If you are able to join us, we're, Jen and I are going right now to our NOR Forum community, norgroup.com slash forum. Thanks, everybody, and look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.